Welcome to another episode of Axel Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. Welcome back from the really bleak, awful land of The Last of Us 2. I don't know. I, it was bleak, but I also really enjoyed myself. It really captivated me the all the way through. Yeah, you seem to really like it. Um, I'm just looking at it warily. I'm, I'm not sure about it. It is pretty dark and violent, but... Yeah. So yeah, for context, you should go read my review. It's over on the site, and it I, I gave it a 4.5 out of 5. I wasn't big on the original, actually, which I kind of end up taking the review at the last minute. But, you know, I went in with a, into it with an open mind, mm-hmm. and I think changing the perspective to Ellie really helped because I could relate to that perspective a lot more than I could with Joel's. And as right. a consequence, I felt way more invested in the emotions of the story almost from the start. That's interesting to think about because, yes, you are actually playing as an older uh, girl this time instead of, you know, sad dad again. Yeah, you go from in the original game, she's 14 and this one she's 19 and gay. <laughs> gay as hell. So gay. Um but also kind of grumpy and sad. Like in the original, she has a spark of life to it and you can kind of see it disappearing by the time she's 19. But that's also maybe she's kind of a sullen teenager. I don't know. Yeah, I was pretty pissed off at the world when I was 19. I mean, wouldn't, I mean, who wasn't, right? Pretty much. And, that, and when you add on the fact that she exists in a dead world where everyone's violent and awful, that would make me a little bit grumpy. Yeah, uh, there are points where... I'm not ashamed to say that I got actually kind of emotional playing it um, and had to jump up and go take a walk and be like, why are you doing this to me, game? Oh, my God. I feel like emotions. It's okay to get emotional at video games. I get emotional at video games all the time. I was just playing Heavensward Final Fantasy XIV and getting emotional at that over the weekend. It's There's a lot to unpack. Unfortunately, I can't unpack a fair amount of it because the review embargoes are incredibly strict. Yeah. Yeah, uh, there's been a lot of complaints about that. I did write over on US Gamer a site about how uh, Last of Us Part Two has a snowball fight and how it brings me back to Final Fantasy Tactics Advance, and that's a quality content you can only get on US Gamer. I agree. You should really go read. Basically, you're packing a nerd reference into another nerd reference. It's like a nerd duckin'. That's the stuff we write. <laughs> Underducking. Uh yeah, so go check it out. Basically I talk about how they both tutorialize their mechanics and even do a little bit of story setup through individual st- snowball fights and how Final Fantasy Tactics Advance really establishes its mood and its store uh and its setting and everything and Last of Us Part 2 kind of does the same. Uh, it's an interesting connection and it kind of made me realize that Final Fantasy Tactics Advance might be a little more ahead of its time than I expected. That's a controversial statement. I know a lot of people don't like Advance. I think we talked about that in our Game Boy Advance uh, console quest, if you want to go back and listen to that. But it's pretty. Yeah, that's true. It is quite pretty. And I haven't been in a snowball fight in years. God, just thinking about it. I hated them when I was a kid. I was never in a snowball fight. No, not even when you lived in snowy uh, uh, Minnesota? (laughs) You almost said Wisconsin. No, I almost said Mississippi. Mississippi. <laughs> the snow don't have Mississippi. snow there. <laughs> no, we were we were forbidden from doing snowball fights on the school grounds because kids would like you know th- put like rocks or, or whatever in the in the snowballs. So one kid spoils it for everyone. The usual story. In the cartoons, it, a snowball fight always looked really like fun because people would pack up the snow and throw it in these like perfectly formed balls, right? And they would seem to hit really hard. Yeah, but they'd be like poofy and soft, and no, it's like getting hit like a with a, a bullet. It hurts like hell. Well, yeah, you either get hit hit by a pack of slush, or you get <laughs> yes. hit by some powder, and it's not really a snowball it do at anything. all. Yeah, it, it's not. Uh, snowball fights are not at all like you you see in the cartoons. You, you southern kids is not the least. It's just yeah, you're right. You you got a handful of packing snow or slush, which is like messy and awful, and hits really hard, and is cold and icy and. God, I hate it. I hate snow. I think snow can go to hell. Anyway, we got a lot to talk about in this episode. Well, we're going to talk about our reactions to the PlayStation 5 event, and which did not have really any RPGs. Disappointing. No. <laughs> we're going to talk about the Paper Mario Origami King trailer. We're going to talk about Persona 4 on PC. And as always, we're going to talk about the track of the week, which is, well, I guess you'll find out, won't you? 
if you want to follow us on social media, you can follow me at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. And our social media account for the website is US Gamernet. If you enjoy the podcast, can I invite you to leave us a review? It helps our visibility and it brightens our day when our readers leave nice reviews over on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or the podcast player of their choice. Uh, Nadia, we have another podcast right now, in case you didn't realize it. Uh, right now it's called the Dialogue Box Podcast, but in a couple days we're going to be changing the name to Branching Narratives with Jeff Green. It is a very cool little podcast. We just posted our first episode last week. It went over very well. And in this podcast, Nadia, uh, Jeff Green each week interviews an interesting person from the games industry, whether they're an influencer, somebody in the media, a developer, an executive, talks about their journey through games, uh, talks about what's important on their mind. And their first guest is the great Austin Walker from Vice Games. Yeah, it's a it's a really good podcast. Kind of branches out from what we do. We we're a little more conversational, whereas they're more like you know conversational and fact based. They have a, a really nice setup going on. I, I like the new name too. Oh, thank you. I, I I had to think about that one really hard. I hate coming up with names. <laughs> it's not my favorite task either. I do like Acts of the Blood God though. I think it's it's almost as good as Active Time Battle, which was not mine. It was a, a fan's, and actually, I think this was a fan's as well. I think this was a fan's as well. Yeah, and it just so it suits us, and yet it's so strange. It's one of those things where when you come up with a name, you kind of go, you say it a lot, and you go, "Does this work? Like, is this going to sound dumb when I put it on, and when I have to repeat it over and over and over again?" And branching narratives is one of those that just seems kind of natural. So I think so. And thankfully, nobody's taken it remarkably. <laughs> yeah, you had a little bit of a, a, a thing there with dialogue box, I'm afraid. Well, it all got worked out just fine. Uh, I had a conversation yeah. with the creator of that show. She was very gracious and gave us a moment to rebrand. And now we got a new friend. Oh, there you go. You know, through a crisis comes opportunity. Yes, I think that is an accurate way. <laughs> uh, we also have a newsletter that comes out every single Wednesday for Acts of the Blood God, which you should go and subscribe to. Nadia, what was the topic of the newsletter this week? Uh, interesting and conveniently enough, it kind of segues into our main topic today, which is the PlayStation 5 reveal. I had actually just kind of drawn up a list, a wish list of what I was really hoping to see. And of course... Uh, I had heard whispers about Final Fantasy 16, so that was on there, and I'd also heard whispers about, you know, something about Remake 2, Final Fantasy 7 Remake 2. Everything else on my list was just complete nonsense. I was talking about, like, you know, I want a new Wild Arms game, I want a new Chrono Trigger, and, you know, I want, like, not that I really want a new Legend of Dragoon, but I know some people would like it, so I said, hey, why the hell not? And, of course, like, I, I didn't expect any of that to, or most of that to come true, but um, I mean, none of it came true at all. And that was a little bit disappointing for me. I think a lot of people were hoping Final Fantasy 16 would be there. Yeah, I was thinking, okay, this is it. We're going to get Final Fantasy 16. You see like Square Enix come up and it's like, ooh, here we go. And it's not for not for Final Fantasy 16. There were some heavy rumors that really suggested that it was going to happen. It all aligned. If you go back to the last two console generations, Square Enix has been right there when Sony has, uh, right before Sony has put out its new consoles. Uh, with the PS3, it was Final Fantasy 13 and Final Fantasy Versus 13. And with the PS4, it was Final Fantasy 15. And I think Kingdom Hearts 3 was also announced pretty much right yes, away as well. Yes, it was. That was they were thing. very early in their development at the time, but we did eventually get them. In, those, in their respective console life cycles. With the PS5, I do think that we're going to be hearing about Final Fantasy 16 sooner rather than later. Uh, it's going to happen. Yeah, it is definitely going to happen eventually. I just figured it would happen like you know during the press conference, and it didn't, so I was, I was a little surprised about that. I'm going to be really interested to see what Final Fantasy 16 ends up looking like, Nadia. Do you think that they will go a more traditional route? Do you think they'll go a more action-based route like Final Fantasy VII Remake? What are you kind of expecting? I've heard rumors that they're going to do more of an action-based sort of Final Fantasy VII battle system and that it's going to be more of a fantasy world versus the sci-fi world we've seen with the with fifteen and what have you. 
the director of Final Fantasy XIV, Yoshi P. Everyone's saying, oh, he's in charge of Final Fantasy XVI. He's, he's had to say, no, I'm not. Stop bugging me. This isn't happening. Basically, my life is Final Fantasy XIV. Go away. So, uh, as I said, well, that sounds like something that someone who's directing Final Fantasy XVI would say. But I could be totally wrong. He is a very busy person with Final Fantasy XIV. And he it's really kind of is. his baby. And he's not going to abandon it. But at the same time... Square Enix would be foolish not to involve him wherever possible in Final Fantasy-related stuff. I agree. Um, he basically saved Final Fantasy XIV, as we all know, and is a great, incredible game. And uh, But Final Fantasy XIV is, is on a really, really tight ship, and that's part of the reason I think it's successful, because there's always something going on. There's always a new patch of content in the, in the works. So that's why I think, okay, maybe he's serious about not directing Final Fantasy XVI, but... You are correct in saying he should be involved in some regard because he obviously has a huge talent for developing these games. I'm just amazed that Final Fantasy VII Remake turned out to be as good as it did given the talent involved. <laughs> well, given the track record, I should say. Yeah, exactly. The The delays and the the uncertainty and Nomura being Nomura. It was and having to start rough. over almost from scratch. Yeah, that's um, but that was the right call to make apparently. I mean, it's not a perfect game, but it certainly has its strengths. Yeah, it's very good. I think that it's going to be, well, it's going to be somewhere on my top 10 list, maybe at like number 10 or something like that. But yeah, Final Fantasy VII Remake turned out to be really good. I wouldn't be surprised if Yoshida is involved in some capacity as maybe a, a producer who pops in every once in a while. Mm -hmm. And that Final Fantasy XVI ends up being, resembling something more like Final Fantasy XIV, because Final Fantasy XIV is so successful that maybe Square will want to piggyback on it. Yeah, I think so. I think I could see him being in a bit of a mentor role almost, like when he has mm -hmm. any sort of spare time, if that even exists for him, he pops in and says, okay, maybe do this, maybe do that. The way, the kind of the way Shigeru Miyamoto is, is adapting that role in Nintendo where he pops in and looks over someone's shoulder and makes suggestions but doesn't really order anyone to do anything. But it also depends on how early it is in development. If it yeah. is really early in development, maybe they'll take a cube from Final Fantasy VII Remake and make it a lot more action-focused. If it's much further along in development, I wouldn't be surprised if it kind of apes Final Fantasy XIV more. Either way, we're definitely not seeing any kind of turn-based action because Square has made it pretty clear that they don't see it as being in alignment with a major blockbuster game, which is too bad. Yeah, um, it is definitely an interesting time for Final Fantasy in general because, as you say... Final Fantasy XIV is hugely successful, but it's its own thing. Final Fantasy VII Remake was hugely successful, but it's a totally different thing. Where is the new Final Fantasy going to fit in the in this new sort of bloodline for the series? I'm, I'm very curious to find out. Anyway, you can go subscribe to our newsletter over on the show notes. There's a link over there. It's also in the starting screen. And it comes out every single Wednesday, and you get... All the news from RPG news from the past week and an op-ed from the lovely Nadia Oxford. And sometimes me as well, but yeah, Nadia. Yeah, you, you pitch it and I appreciate that. I, I try. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, let's continue on talking about the PS5 reveal, which took place last Thursday. It was the most watched youtube live show ever i think it had like something ridiculous like seven million views yeah yeah when i checked in because i used the twitch stream because the youtube stream was just lagging for me but i checked in on the google stream and it was up to like six seven million it was crazy uh people really care about ps5 i mean i saw internal metrics just today that shows that traffic for any ps5 stuff is pretty much three or four times the amount for the Xbox Series X. That is how far Sony is ahead of Microsoft yeah. right now. Yeah, I wonder what Microsoft is feeling right now. I'm sure that they're like, well, we'll get our, our system and our services out in front of people, and then the worm will turn. But... <laughs> we'll see. But Sony showed its comparative strength during the event. I mean, it was able to roll out uh, Horizon Forbidden West, Oh, I, I wanted to say Zero Dawn. Yeah. Uh, it did show the Demon Souls remake, which we'll get to in just a moment. It showed a the, the new game by Luminous Studios. It showed the new game by Luminous Games, which was Project Athia. Nadia, if you'll recall, Luminous was the studio that was started by Hajime Tabata, who worked on Final Fantasy XV. Tabata left a couple years ago, but 
the game continued. Project Athia is a thing. What did you think of the initial trailer? Uh, it looks interesting. There's not a lot there though, so it was a little bit confusing in the you know in the nature of of those kinds of trailers where there's not much to really talk about. Uh, heck, I'm intrigued. Uh, like I said in my, I wrote something about the PlayStation Five reveals today, and I said, well, it's not Final Fantasy, but I won't turn my back on it. I, I guess I need to know more about what the game actually entails before I get excited about it. Yeah, exactly. At least it wasn't another one of those trailers for like, oh god, what was that game they did with the the deaf guy? <laughs> it wasn't that bad. I think it looks pretty. She had a interesting cape. Yeah, the cape, I know. I'm I am pro cape. That cape looked really cool. So that's that's a score in my book. <laughs> Gary, what is involved? Yeah, that's true. Like I tweeted about the game during the presentation, and he uh, retweeted it and said, "Yeah, you, you think he's writing for it?" Yes. Uh, well, he's involved with it somehow, and yeah. so uh, th- that's going to be interesting. It yeah, seems it very be. early days when it doesn't even have a name, though. Yeah, it's still a project. So, uh, but then again, it's, these code names tend to stick the way like, like Bravely Default did, and and all that. Was Bravely Default a, a code name? I think it was, and it just stuck either way. Octopath. There was Project o- Octopath that's Traveler. True. That's that just what I'm became of. Octopath Traveler. Yeah, which is like, sure, why not? <laughs> it's Square. They're allowed to have stupid names. They've they've established this already. Yeah, you're talking about not wanting to name things, and then somebody comes out and is, and is like, Octopath Traveler. Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. <laughs> well, I mean, Revengeance is the perfect name. It's the only Oh, good yeah, name. It, it suits the game. I mean, look at that thing. I wonder if Athia is the name of the main character. I was, I was thinking that because it reminds me of the name Athena, which is a very, like, female hero name. In which case, you just call it Athia and maybe yeah. give it a subtitle to get people to notice... Uh, ultimate cape lady. <laughs> Athia with a wicked ass cape. I, I guess Square Enix is going all in on the AAA blockbusters for next gen. Uh, it seems like they've managed to get themselves back into something resembling a good game development pipeline. They're putting out <laughs> games at a more even pace. So we'll see. I, I think a lot of people were expecting, uh, we already mentioned Final Fantasy 16, <clears throat> but also Final Fantasy 7. Uh, remake for PS5, and we're surprised when it didn't show up. Yeah, um, I was expecting or kind of hoping that like Final Fantasy VII Remake Part Two would get. I would, wasn't expecting anything major, maybe like a glimpse or a teaser, but uh, that would have just like obviously we're not in a theater, but it would if there had been in a theater and they'd shown that, it would have blown the roof off the place. You think so? I think so. Hmm. I would have liked to have seen a teaser for Final Fantasy VII Remake Part Two. Yeah. I just want to know what is going to happen and where we are going to go. If you give me a glimpse, I can get a good idea, or at least a small idea, of what kind of terrain we'll be traveling over. Are we going to be dealing with more corridors, or is it going to be something more open? That's what I'm mostly curious about. I guess I'm not that surprised that there weren't that many RPGs being shown during the PS5 event. I think we might have talked about this before, Nadia. I don't think that RPGs are a great thing to show at initial game reveals or initial console reveals because first of all they don't demo extremely well second of all they tend to take a long time to make so they come later in the generation yeah you're right although i think square is pretty good at generating hype by just giving us like a a cg trailer for something the way they did with the the original final fantasy 7 remake reveal that was something else if I think back to the last couple generations, so Oblivion was out pretty quickly into the Xbox 360's life cycle, but it also was a PC game first. And now a lot of these games are more console first than PC first. And I know that Bethesda is working on Elder Scrolls 6 and all of that, but it still seems very early days, so not surprised that we haven't seen anything with, regarding them yet. Bioware is still working on Dragon Age 4. So, I mean, and of course, Cyberpunk is coming out uh, on PS4. Oh, wait, it's coming out on next-gen consoles as well, right? Yeah, no, yeah. it totally is. So we're going to la- get Cyberpunk. I wonder why Cyberpunk wasn't featured more heavily. That's a good question. Um, I also feel like the this, this scattered nature of this year's E3 is contributing to uh, maybe we're not seeing what we're supposed to see when we originally were supposed to see it. Like... I just feel like, yes, we will be seeing our RPGs. Yes, we will be seeing our Final Fantasy 16. But that's going to happen when Sony announces another 
demonstration down the road, say July or August. TGS. Uh, when's TGS? Well, it's supposed to be in September, but it's probably going to be a digital event. Right, of course. Yeah, it's almost certainly going to be a digital event. And then there's Nintendo. What the hell are they doing? Nobody knows. <laughs> well, Nintendo's off in its own little world, making it's all the bank. Making really all the just... money from Animal Crossing. <laughs> God, that, the amount of money that, that game made is just obscene. Well, the amount of interest it generated. like It was something like four times more interest than the PS5 was for Animal Crossing New Horizons. Helped that it was a new game, but still. I mean, that still, just tells you all you need crazy. to know. Yeah, but I think that when it comes to Cyberpunk, it actually might be that Microsoft has marketing exclusivity. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And also, I think Cyberpunk explicitly wanted to hold back for its own stream, which was supposed to be like this past week, but obviously didn't happen. Yeah, so there's another thing. Every Like I said, everything's so scattered to the winds right now. We're all just flying by the seat of our pants. That includes developers as well. Yeah, I mean, we're just all trying to figure things out as they're happening. And it's not been easy, Nadia. No, it hasn't. Like, I'm still, like... It is E3 week for us, and I'm still kind of a little bit fuzzy on what's being done and where. But we're all we're getting by. I think we're doing all right. I think it's E3 in air quotes. It doesn't really feel like E3 to me. Oh, it definitely doesn't feel like E3 to me. And I'm a little disappointed because I was supposed to be there. But life is life. I'm really sorry, Nadia. That really sucks. You were going to go this year. <laughs> I know. Oh, hopefully we'll get to go. You know, this will pass, and there'll be a vaccine sometime, and we'll, that, we'll get some sort of normality restored. I like your optimism, but Thank yeah, you. when it comes to E3, I mean, we would always have the Ubisoft press conference, we would have a Nintendo Direct, EA Play would be happening, uh, we would have Sony, or like, Sony at least doing a state of play or something, and Microsoft obviously dominating the stage over at E3. <laughs> There's... Bring, in, bring in Cirque du Soleil again. The Nintendo booth alone, you know, begs a lot of attention during... Uh, E3, a lot of good interview opportunities and that kind of thing. So I just, I miss the energy of E3 for sure. Yeah, like I love the energy around conferences. It really keeps you going. And then you collapse when you get home, but like you're just kind of existing on adrenaline for those few days. So let's talk really quickly about the Demon's Souls remake. Um, I just wanted to quickly read a letter from one of our readers. This is from Dr. Level Up. Hi there. Have you all ever talked about why you do not consider the Soul series to be an RPG? I am curious. You've mentioned those games not being RPGs before, but I don't know if you've ever said why you think this is. The reveal of Demon's Souls got me curious. Thanks for the great podcast. Well, Dr. Level Up, the answer, <laughs> and I think we've talked about this in previous episodes, but I guess I'm going to reiterate. I think what defines an RPG is where you kind of put your focus. If the focus is mostly on exploration and combat, I think it's more of an action-adventure game. If it's more on pure combat, then it's more of an action game. And if it is for, say, about uh, playing a role or developing your character or equipping them with items and coming out with interesting builds, that's when you get into more RPG-related territory, in my opinion. Now, people will go, but Cat, Dark Souls has like heavy RPG elements, and you're like leveling up your weapons and stuff and getting loot. Uh, how is this not an RPG? And while I agree, I agree that there's a fuzzy line and we're making arbitrary distinctions, but at the same time, like sometimes you have to lay down clear indicators to be like, okay, let's, let's be real here. Assassin's Creed Origins <laughs> is not an RPG. God mm. of War is not an RPG. But the reason that I tend to distinct, be distinctive about Dark Souls is that it is so focused on the action. It's all about the action, about how you move your character around, how you battle the enemies. It's so skill-based. That's true. And in that respect, I just am much more inclined to call it a pure action game than an RPG. I, I, I want to be distinct. It's about as close as you're going to get to an RPG, and I'm inclined to grandfather it in. Whenever a Demon's... We've talked about Demon Souls and Dark Souls on this podcast before. I just didn't want to put it at the top of the damn... Uh, top 25 RPG list. I wanted to go a lot more <laughs> pure, I suppose. Yeah, we were being racist against RPGs in that uh, <laughs> in that feature, but totally by, necess by uh, necessity. Because, yes, Dark Souls slash Demon's Souls really does walk that line. And I'm not the biggest Dark Souls fan in the world, but I have played it, and I do enjoy it for what it is. 
And yeah, it definitely has that RPG flavor, and it's but it's so focused on action and tells, like like Kat said. Um, when I play it, I just don't feel like I'm playing an RPG. And I know it, it's really stupid to come down to your gut on this one, but I'm going to follow my gut and just say, look, it's it's not quite an RPG. It's it's its, its own little universe, and unfortunately we had to exclude it. Sorry. Yeah, I it does have heavy connections to classic dungeon crawling, for right. sure. Right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, it's an arbitrary distinction. I think that where we came down really hard was when we were just deciding how we were going to handle the the top 25 RPG list. And I was like, well, I want to go more traditional. And that's why yeah. Dark Souls didn't end up on it. But if we're you want to if you want to call an RPG, sure, I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> <laughs> we can't stop you. It's not it's totally legal to call an RPG if you want to. We're, we are not the RPG police. And we're going to have I mean, we're going to certainly have more Dark Souls slash Elden Ring slash Demon Souls discussions on this podcast. But uh, let's let's do that now. Let's talk a little bit about Demon Souls. Uh, yeah. So Demon Souls remake, which we've all known is coming forever. Like mm-hmm. there's no surprise whatsoever. Everybody and their mom knew about this one. It is it was confirmed for the PlayStation Five. We got a tiny tiny teaser and some initial screenshots. And I guess my initial impression is it looks really cool, but we may have a Shadow of the Colossus collection uh, problem in that it might be too clean. I was thinking about that, like, because I never played Demon's Souls, but I remember the aesthetic and it was always something just about the grittiness what just kind of sticks is what sticks with me. And yeah, when you kind of upscale it, it's, it loses a little bit of that that grunge i guess that the grit adds something to it i i know that from software has been on the same extremely rickety engine for a very long time now yeah yeah kind of souped up in various ways and it has its own charm i don't know that anybody ever said uh oh, it's the jank the jank nadia <laughs> you gotta have the jank gotta have the jank i think people were more enamored with how clean the action was, how skill-based it was, how it was often unforgiving and demanded mastery, how there were so many interesting secrets to find uh, hidden throughout in terms of NPCs, little things that were completely missable, that kind of thing. Uh, the darkness of the the gothic darkness of its world. Mm-hmm. Uh, on and on and on. Like the just the aesthetic, the art, the art in that game was so good. All of those things can be replicated by Bluepoint and then some. Yeah, when Demon Souls first came out, like I remember word of mouth really got spread around about that game, about how different and how special it was. And uh, as I said, I didn't get to play it, but uh, I was always just kind of intrigued by the lore and the setting. Maybe the concerns about it being not janky enough or a little bit overblown and i don't think it's going to be disrespectful to the source material at all i do have a lot of hope that just looking at the screenshots that we're going to get this fabulously beautiful but also very dark and kind of gritty fan dark fantasy universe that characterizes demon souls uh, so completely Interesting note about Demon Souls, Nadia. Not technically connected to the Dark Souls universe. It is its own thing. Oh, so, I didn't know that. I thought that uh, it was basically like the start of the the lore for uh, Dark Souls. You, very similar in many ways. Uh-huh. Practically, practically the same in a lot of ways. But but Sony owns the name. That's why Blue Point was able to get the rights to remake it. Like. I think Sony's been after this for a very long time, ever since the original Demon's Souls completely broke out on PlayStation 3. As I said, the original Demon's Souls mostly spread around by word of mouth, and you know a lot of people likely missed it, so they're probably eager to, to go back to it and see where it all started. I wonder how they're going to take it, because from what I hear, Dark Souls is, is, of course, Dark Souls extremely unforgiving, but Demon's Souls will just absolutely like destroy your heart. All right. I don't think there are any other RPGs really to talk about from the PS5 event. No, unfortunately. I, I do wish... I know you were just saying that, yeah, they're not great for reveal events, but I do wish there was a little more hype for RPGs, but I'm sure that's coming. We'll have plenty of fodder to talk about down the, down the road. All right, continuing onward. I'm looking at the notes right now. We have 
Destiny 3 has a lot of new junk going on if we care. Well, Nadia, we don't <laughs> you care. Had, you had to read the brackets. You know, technically, Destiny is an RPG. I mean, yeah. it's a game with a lot of loot and customization. But much like Dark Souls, we don't call it an RPG because the emphasis is on the shoot. It's on the shooting. It on was a shooty, shooting shooty. game. Shooty bang bang. It is a shooting game that just happens to have a heavy, heavy loot component. It borrows from the RPG genre, but it is not an RPG. And I don't like Destiny, so I don't really feel like talking about it. I will talk about Dark Souls. I won't talk about Destiny. <laughs> so that goes into the bin. Into, into the, the bin. The... <laughs> you do not come um, here for Destiny talk. Sorry. New Paper Mario, the Origami King trailer. Uh, Nadia, you had some weird headline, and then you were amused. That I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what is about this Piper Mario or Origami King trailer? Uh, basically, that dropped today as of this recording. And it's uh, not really a trailer so much as a more in-depth look at what the game is all about. And it shows off the boss fights in Paper Mario Origami King. And it's hilarious because you're basically fighting against actual objects, like art, art objects, like... A, a a case of pencil crayons, for example, or as Americans call them, colored pencils, I suppose, where you would think, okay, that's hilarious, that's stupid, but it is hilarious. But when you look at these pencil crayons, they're all just sharpened to like a, a, a atom fine point, and they look very threatening and very dangerous if you're if you are a Paper Mario. Uh, in the same vein, other bosses they showed was a roll of tape, and you just see this roll of tape kick mario's ass because it it it, ta- it sticks him and just like starts slapping him around and there's this rubber band golem and it's just these are very unusual bosses but for a paper mario game i suppose they're suitable um and of course we got more looks more of a look at the characters mario has companions again which a lot of people are excited about because they were gone in in paper in, in sticker star and i don't remember if they were in color splash but the point is, a lot of people are complaining about how Mario doesn't have companions to fight with, and he does again. He's got, like, a bomb He's got, like, a Professor Toad. Uh, the the bomb the is actually really cute. I think he has a Chain Chomp as well. Um, they, what I really am amused by, and this is something that has happened before with the Paper Mario games, is they're making the, the bad guy, like, really simply designed but like has his little these little quirks that are going to make everyone just like run to rule 34 and start drawing porn of this this character because he does this little he's a little origami king right he does this little hair flip with his with his triangle of hair and it's just the funniest thing i've, I've seen all day and i his name is king ollie and i already love him he's, he's great i can't wait to like talk to him because from what i can see from the trailer that we saw the dialogue's already pretty hilarious like the Bob-omb says, oh, I have amnesia. I don't know. He, but he can't remember the name, the word amnesia. So he's going through all these words like uh, mo- like something. He made some reference to Doki Doki Panic and called it like, you know, Mindy Mindy Panic or something like that. So, yeah, it's already like looking like a pretty fun, funny game. And, yes, there are objects that are bosses and they will poke your eye out and slap you around with tape and probably do that rubber band thing where you someone like you know kind of flicks it against your skin it really hurts you talking about killer crayons and murderous rubber bands makes me think of a really bad treehouse of horror episode of the simpsons or something (laughs) something that exists or just one that no just just replace mario with homer and have him going reacting horrifyingly (laughs) as the rubber band golems trying to kill him it works better with the paper mario for sure and the writers are just like, we're very tired. We don't know. <laughs> Rubber band golems trying to kill Homer, I guess. We're done here. I just, I don't care about Paper Mario the Origami King. I, I, I hate being that person. It just doesn't grab me. The idea does not grab me. I do. I, I'm actually excited to play it. I can't wait to play it. I hope the review copy comes in. I'm soon. really glad because then you can talk about it on this podcast. And yes. I can be cynical and horrible as usual. <laughs> you are spared. But that's okay, the Last of Us I'm... Part Two ended up being the perfect game for me. It warmed my cynical black heart. That's probably why I'm not interested in it. It just looks like misery porn. It's not misery porn, but it is kind of miserable. <laughs> but it's not miserable. Here's the thing. I really disliked The Road, so I don't think The Last of Us mm. is the kind of environment that I want. I am more... You actually linked to something I wrote earlier in the month. Uh <laughs> Well, the feature I wrote was uh, was back when Zelda came out, Breath of the Wild, and I mentioned how that was more, I think, a more realistic apocalypse than 
what you get with The Last of Us and The Road and, and whatnot, um, where people are more inclined to help each other and rebuild than they are to be just horrible to each other because they can, because law is gone. I have a more, I guess, to my detriment, a more, you know, positive feeling about humanity and our future and our fate than, I, than it probably deserves, but here I am. There's a lot to talk about here, and so I'm not going to go deep into it. I will say that in The Last of Us, The Last of Us Part Two opens with you in a very nice settlement in Jackson, Wyoming, where you have like a snowball fight with some kids, and people are like living together in harmony and that kind of thing. So that element definitely exists in The Last of Us Part Two. It's not all psychopaths. They definitely exist, and they would exist... <laughs> They would exist in the real world. If society yeah, completely collapsed, there would be enclaves of people who are helping each other, and there would be wacko, like, crazy robbers who would be out there who you would not want to run into, you know? So Yeah, have you ever read The Stand? Because that actually has a really good balance of, like, you know, the whole thing is about the good versus evil. Yes, I have read The Stand. Actually. So that's a pretty good representation of what we'd be looking at. Yes, I can definitely say that a demon would show up and summon all of the bad people to Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> all the bad people. And a saintly grandma would summon everybody to Boulder, Colorado. No, there you go. I mean, that's how it was handled. A flag would kind of visit people in their dreams and say, hey, go to Vegas. And uh, Mother Abigail would say, oh, if you're good, go to Boulder, Colorado. All right. Well, that was a digression. <laughs> it, it's just a bit. Sorry, everyone. I'm probably going to remove that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was interesting. Uh, let's talk about Persona 4 on PC. Uh, it yeah. was announced, uh, I think, on Saturday. We've had a copy uh, for quite a while now. Katie has been playing it. And, hey, it's been liberated from the PlayStation Vita. Sorry, Yay. last PlayStation Vita girl who is in Last of Us 2 who gets <laughs> killed. Uh, you're, the only game that you can ever want is gone. You can play Gravity Rush instead. Yeah, she uh, she she died, and she's in heaven with her with her Vita, I suppose. Uh, so, how are you feeling about Persona Four being on PC, Nadia? Uh, I am intrigued. I don't know if I'll play it all the way through. Probably not, because I'm I'm curious to see how the graphics upscaled. I should ask Katie about that. I shouldn't. I forgot to do that. Um, because basically, I was I have been playing a little bit of um, E's Memory of Cell Cellcata on Celsada on the PlayStation 4, which is an upscaled game from the Vita. And you can definitely see, uh, yeah, it's it was a PSP game, a PS Vita game, all right. Uh, I'm curious to see if that's what happens to Golden, although I'm sure the soundtrack is fantastic no matter what. I'm sure it helps that it's in HD. Yeah, that's true. That is true. I think that the most interesting thing about Persona 4 Golden is, A, it has a Japanese language track, as, not, oh, as Katie pointed out. Uh, I think that if you want, I, I guess there are some people who weren't all the way down with the English localization. So if I you want it. kind of a pure expression of the story, there you go. Persona 4 Golden in Japanese. Has the, because I know localization kind of changes things around a bit. So has the the text been rewritten to fit that more stark Japanese tract? Nah, they'll they'll keep the text. Because uh, Nick Marigos's uh, script was actually really good, uh, it made an interesting stylistic decision to keep the honorifics, and it was a little awkward, but it ultimately worked. And he did a really great job of bringing the individual characters to life. Katie, uh, we should mention, is not a Persona Four fan. She is a Persona Three and a Persona Five fan. Persona Four lands at the bottom of her pile. Oh, that's she is of the opinion that. that Persona Four doesn't hold up. That is very much of its time. Um, I can see, and, and she specifically points to the way it handles its social issues, mm. which admittedly is pretty awkward. I think it has the strongest cast in the best setting myself, but we've talked about this in the top 25 RPGs countdown, which you should go listen to. And you should read the accompanying uh, uh, article I wrote, because yes, I actually explained why we chose it over four, sorry, why we chose it over five. And it was a close contest, but yeah, four ultimately takes... For me, I still think I prefer 5 a little bit more, but 4 definitely has its strengths. And as we have discussed in the past much, many times, it's very glaring weaknesses. Well, now that I'm done with Last of Us 2, I've actually been thinking seriously about picking up Persona 4 Royal and starting over. Oh, you should. Yeah. I love Royal. It's a 
good. It's a really good uh, update of the game. Now that Persona 4 Golden is on PC, everybody is saying, so what about Persona 3? A game yeah. that is still kind of trapped on the PS2 and the PSP. What do you I think agree. are the odds of that happening, Nadia? Uh, probably not that high, unfortunately, because I don't know how much they want to put. Like, you're talking about the P- PS2 era and the PS Vita era. It might take a little more work to really make the game look anything resembling good on you know a ps4 so i don't know if they want to put that effort in which is too bad because i really like to play three i haven't played three yet yeah that's the rub is that persona 3 i mean they would have to basically completely remaster it whereas persona 4 golden the heavy lifting in a lot of ways was already done and i'm not saying that there would be no work whatsoever in getting it over from the playstation vita over to the pc but it's a lot more straightforward given that it was already in hd more or less yeah, like the polygons are probably going to be a little bit obvious, but it's not going to make your eyes bleed. And not only that, Persona 3 Fez, it's really dated at this point. A lot of the mechanics are old, like you can't even control your own characters, for example. Really? And then Persona 3, yeah, like you can't, you can only control the main character. You can't control the party. You can't give them commands. Oh dear. Yeah, it's really annoying. That's why it's like, <laughs> okay, play Persona 3 Portable, in which you can issue orders directly from your players. The problem with that game is that you don't have the full overworld. You just have a point-and-click interface for the overworld. Mm. So, yeah, it really does come from the old-school Persona age, which if someone's going backwards from Persona 5, they might not be very impressed. Unless, as you said, this game was completely overhauled for the modern age, and who knows? I don't know if Atlas has that time or those resources. I think it is a matter of if Persona 4 Golden sells well enough, maybe we will have a case where Atlas goes, eh, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe it's worth it, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's there's something to be said. Anytime, every time a game sells well, an angel gets his wings, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> the developer kind of casts its eye on that and says, maybe. I wouldn't be surprised if Persona 5 came over. To the PC? Yeah. If Persona 4 Golden can do it, then Persona 5 can Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'd say, where's the Switch? But we all know that's probably not going to happen. Well, it seems like Sony probably has some kind of exclusivity deal in place for Persona 3, 4, and 5, in which it's just not going to be a thing. Like, And Atlas really wants it. They really oh, want sure. those games on Switch. I mean, wouldn't you? We all do. Oh, absolutely. But yeah. it's not going to happen. If Persona 5 Royal was on the Switch, it would sell gangbusters. Uh, Persona 4 Golden on the PC... In the grand scheme of things, I think the most exciting pieces of information about that is that it is free of the PlayStation Vita. Sorry, Vita fans, but I like that it is no longer on an outdated platform. Yeah. And it suggests that Persona 5 could also be coming to PC. And who knows? Maybe people will be able to mod it as well. And we can start getting crazy crazy. things like the Nemesis in Persona 4 for some reason. (laughs) Okay, yes, I am very eager to see what kind of mods we're going to be ending up with here. Mod out Teddy. Oh, please mod out Teddy. So, I'm, people say they hate Morgana. I like Morgana so much more than Teddy. I don't care what you do with Teddy. Throw him in a river. Just replace him with something. Replace him with a box. A, a, a cardboard he box. Fun. He, he's your typical anime pervy boy. Who cares? I have to say that he was actually really cute in this sequence where like you're alone at home and he's with you during Christmas and Golden. And you, if you go outside to go do gardening or over, he's like... Senpai, it's dangerous to go alone. Take me. And I had to say that was really cute. All right. That's all of the news for this week. Nadia, let's continue on to the track of the week. Okay, Nadia, it is time for the track of the week. Each week we choose a interesting song from RPG history and we talk about it because music informs how we think about RPGs so many times. It is a key component in a really great role-playing game, particularly a JRPG. And this week, we got a song from Persona 4. Let's see if you recognize this song. And to 
Yeah, we're going theme appropriate again this week. Going yeah. back to the JRPG side of things, and we decided to go with Affection from Persona 4 in honor of the fact that Persona 4 Golden is out on PC. As always, Nadia, you picked this song. Why did you pick Affection in particular? Uh, it's just one of those songs where, like, Persona 4, first of all, has an amazing soundtrack. Um, I prefer 5 just a bit more, but 4 is no slouch at all. Uh, 4 has a lot of earworms, and most of those are uh, thankfully good earworms. And this is one of the major ones, which plays, I think, in the afternoon, usually on sunny days, when you're going around doing your chores or whatever. Uh, you know how, like, sometimes you hear a song or something that just takes you right back to where you were when you first heard it or played it or, or whatever? That's me and affection. Um, I played a lot of Persona 4 when I was recovering from surgery, so it kind of takes me back to that time when I was feeling, um, you know, I was feeling a little grody, obviously, but Persona 4 helped me get through it and cheered me up a bit. So I appreciate it for that. I appreciate the fact that it has that really interesting sort of stereo effect that you can only hear through headphones. And uh, I really prefer it to Heartbreak, which is the song that plays after school on cloudy days. And that's another earworm, but for me, it's not a good one. It just gets in your head and it will not exit. I think it's funny that you like a song that takes you back to being in the hospital. I might have been really doped up. <laughs> that's what painkillers will do. The no, best part of waking will. up is Percocet in your cup. <laughs> Oh, man, that poor recovery room nurse. I would not shut up. <laughs> I really like affection. I like Persona 4's overworld music in general. It is very languid and chill and just relaxing. And I think that Persona 4's soundtrack overall is my favorite. You were saying that maybe Persona 5 is your favorite just because it's maybe has a little more variety to it. Yeah, it has, uh, it's that, and it's a little more driving. Like, I've always been more of a, like, a very rock alternative person. I like, I like driving sounds and driving tunes, and since Persona 5 is obviously, uh, you know, about rebelling against society, etc., etc., it has very sort of driving, energetic music that I appreciate. I think it's a neat trick to be able to make music that is interesting in a lot of ways, without being too repetitive, but also doesn't overwhelm the scenery that you're in. I mean, it's the kind of music that's supposed to pop up periodically um, and just kind of set the mood while you're going around doing various school activities, but without being too intrusive, but also while being interesting. I I, I really <laughs> like Persona 4's music. It's just terrific. It does, I will say, it does fit the atmosphere of the game, like, perfectly. Um one song I actually came very close to choosing was Look It Up. It's called Memories. And it's the song that plays if you are friends with Maria and with Marie and you have to find her because she does the whole, you know, I'm a death god, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I don't deserve friends. I'll kill you all, blah, blah, blah. And she hides herself. And you have to find her in this dungeon where you lose all your items. You lose all your uh, weapons. You have to get them back as you go through this this really dark place called the Hollow Forest. And it's one of my favorite places in Persona 4. And the memory soundtrack is definitely one of my favorite soundtracks in the game. Uh, you also linked Heartbreak, which you said was his, quote, cloudy day counterpart. But you said you didn't like it as much. No, no. I just, it just gets in my head in a bad way, not the good way that uh, affection does. I don't know. I kind of like it. It's uh, the heartbreak, heartbeat, going back and forth. I, I find it catchy honestly. And it's also really good working music. In fact, the entire Persona 4 soundtrack is excellent working music. It is, although sometimes I find the vocals a little distracting. There's uh, some really good relaxation versions. I think there's a version that's titled something like Persona Emotional Music Playlist oh. over on YouTube that has ver versions that are maybe a little more in the background. That they're mixed a bit differently. And yeah, I, I think it works think out pretty those. well. Yeah, I saw some of those when I was looking for this, uh, for this song. And um, they kind of emulate the whole chill beats, you know, uh, chill lo-fi beats or whatever the, the channel is called. 
and you'll even find some of those channels have like original art that emulates that that picture of that girl who's been studying for four years. Uh, like I saw one with the Persona 5 coffee shop and like Shojiro and the main character just chilling out with uh, Akechi off in the corner doing his own thing. It's a, it's a good picture. I do think it's funny that you went for the much sunnier your affection, whereas I kind of prefer the cloudier heartbreak. I think it fits our personalities well. <laughs> Apparently it does, but you're probably feeling the lingering effects of playing Last of Us 2. A game that is very cloudy and gray because it's set in Seattle. Oh, good. yeah. How do people in Seattle not have, like, vitamin D deficiency everywhere? Uh, don't ask me. I don't live in Seattle. <laughs> it's nice to visit. I don't think I could live there. It's fine. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Seattle people. I'm on a personal quest to disrespect every single city in America uh, on this podcast, and you're up, Seattle. <laughs> Put like you do, you know those 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 signs when you drive into a state. Seattle, it's fine. Yeah, it's it's okay. I don't mind visiting there. Pretty good food, actually. I like going to the Pike Place Market, but it it, it can be a little bit gloomy, I think, and yeah. smaller than you would expect. But it, it has really. really it has really distinctive architecture, and it you can it's weird. I can look at pictures and I can smell how clear, clean the air is. It's weird. Yes, it does have a very distinct sort of you know seaside smell that I like because I don't really I don't live beside the sea. I just live beside the Great Lakes. I, I my first memory of Seattle though is like first of all everyone's smoking weed all the time, and I mean it is legal in Canada and plenty of people smoke it here. But holy crap, nobody stops smoking weed in Seattle. It's nuts. And then there was that guy covered with blood in the door in the in the on the doorstep. That was weird. But oh yeah, that wasn't <laughs> Seattle, wasn't it? No, that was first, that was our first night in Seattle. We were going to meet someone for dinner, and it's like uh, there's a guy back there covered in blood. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, yeah, I love uh, America. I really do. Yeah, uh, awkward. Just uh, anyway, getting back to Persona Four. Uh, your your affection is composed by Shoji Meguro. I was been composing for Atlas and Personas, quote, since the beginning of time. Pretty much, or or what, 1996, which is more or less the beginning of time for me. And its vocals are courtesy of Shihoko Hirata, who did all the singing for Persona 4's OST. I like I said, I mean, there's a lot that you can talk about with Persona 3, 4, and 5's soundtracks. I just li- love how poppy it is, and how yes. catchy it is, and it has a wide variety of interesting music, um, which is especially on display in Persona 5. I just, Persona 4, it's the catchiest soundtrack, in my opinion. Persona 5 is maybe more ambitious. Persona 4 is just nice. It, it is a very nice soundtrack, and I really like the vocals. Uh, I like everything about it. It's just 5 edged out just a bit, but I still love 4 very much. Okay, Nadia, it's letter time. Yay, letter time. Okay, last week we had a long discussion about social commentary in RPGs because it tis the season, I guess. <laughs> tis the season. And Benjamin Lou eighty six says, uh, "Hello, Final Fantasy fourteen. Hope Nadia gets to Stormblood soon, since that's where that gets the most overt. In a lot of ways, FF fourteen is all about refugees, both literal and figurative. A persistent source of conflict is the matter of Ala Mihigan." Refugees that fill the slums of Ulda. Doman refugees also come to Eorza for asylum from Imperial impression. The player character even gets the refugee treatment when they flee to Ishgard for Heavensward. Shadowbringer's main villain can also be considered a refugee for spoilers. The game has a lot to say <laughs> about this and many other social topics. Oh, I didn't realize this. Have you noticed the social commentary in FF14, Nadia? Oh, absolutely. Um, the whole thing is very, very steep in, in politics, exclusion, racism. Uh, and yes, refugees are a big, big part of the story from the very beginning. Uh, the, he, he mentioned the, the Domans, who are refugees from Doma, which is, as we know, Final Fantasy fourteen isn't connected to the Final Fantasy games, but it's very, very coy about it. So yes, you do have Doma. And of course, Doma was destroyed in Final Fantasy VI, and Doma was destroyed by the Empire in in Final Fantasy XIV. So you have a lot of refugees flooding these cities, and people saying, "Well, we can barely take care of ourselves." And, and this is true because it's after the, this big calamity where Bahamut burnt everything to the ground, and you have the upper class in Ulda who are basically rich assholes controlling everything, and the people below don't get anything. 
is extremely political. I have heard people say, oh, it, it, don't put politics in Final Fantasy XIV. It's not, it's not political at all. It is such a political game. That's actually one of the reasons I really enjoy it. So if you are into those political games like Suikoden, uh, even Trails of Cold Steel, which I find is actually quite political as well, Final Fantasy XIV has, has plenty of that. Uh, there was also a fair amount of discussion about Mass Effect in the comments this week. Uh, I mentioned that Ashley Williams is a space racist, and the vagrant came in and <laughs> says, right. Ashley Williams from Mass Effect is not and never has been a racist human supremacist, whatever pejorative you want to ascribe her when the writers, the voice actor, and the game itself tells you she is not. It's proven that she confronts actual human supremacists on the Citadel in the first game. Yes, Kat, I will fight you on this until the end of time. <laughs> Well, there you go. You have a nemesis, cat. Now you've done it. I just want to point out that when we did our big Mass Effect panel during PAX, I turned to Mike Williams and Austin Walker, and I go, so is Ashley Williams a space racist? And they're like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think that uh, they would disagree with you, the vagrant. And Skyward Shadow says, I'm a pretty huge Mass Effect fan and even enjoy Ashley's character arc, but she's a space racist, or at least starts off as one. Just because she stands up against the space KKK doesn't mean she doesn't support space segregation, lol. Her views are often <laughs> subtle and admittedly open to some interpretation. Her views also change and prove over time, and I personally like the realism of flawed characters that learn and evolve. The reason I posed the question of whether or not Ashley was a space racist to Austin and Mike was I was kind of going, yeah, but she gets better. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible to recover from space racism. Yeah, the, you can learn. Just don't be a space racist. Uh, and the vagrant responds with a very long uh, reply, which you should go to the, read the show notes to go see. A satellite of Love says, I've always said it's very tricky to do morality scale in an RPG well without going black and white. I remember some Disco Elysium talk before that came out. Yo, are they going to allow you to be racist as hell? They managed to thread those needles, an entire haystack of them, really. But let's just say, I don't really want them to become a trend, yeah? Beast was the and then they continue on to the Divinity Original Sin. Beast was the only one of the six that survived my game. Some real shit happened. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And finally, Bobby Watson says, I love it when cats invite themselves to a podcast, referring to yeah. Eric Van Allen's cat completely invading our discussion, which was really cute. Which, by the way, we have a weekly stream now, Nadia. Yes, we do on Fridays, isn't it? Yes, it's from 1 o'clock to 2 p.m., Eric Van Allen hosts a podcast called The Entitled U.S. Gamer Stream over on YouTube because it's literally untitled, but I don't know. Maybe we'll go funny and untitled goose game-like and keep the name. <laughs> As we, we are not good at coming up with names at U.S. Gamer, apparently. Uh, yeah, I mean, but I, I don't know. When I think about it for long enough, eventually I come up with a name that's not entirely stupid. But... By the okay. way, uh just to, to, to cap off the discussion about politics and games, I don't know if you saw my tweet the other day, but I'm about to finish Final Fantasy, uh, Final Fantasy 14 Heavensward, and that involves, as I put in, in tweets, I said, okay, well, I guess it's time to curb stomp the Pope, which is basically what you're doing. Well, good luck. Destroy that Thank Pope. You. Yeah, he's, he's kind of a dick. All right, Axe of Blood God is a U.S. Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Make sure to subscribe to our newsletter, which comes out every single Wednesdays. We're on social media. I'm at Twitter at the underscore Catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. And make sure to check out our new podcast. It's currently called The Dialogue Box. In a couple days, it will be called Branching Narratives with Jeff Green. And it is a really good podcast. I am very proud of it. And it you should go subscribe and listen to it. Uh, you can find the info over on the site. I am very tired now, and I have to go talk some more about The Last of Us 2 on Game Explained, so let's wrap this up, Nadia. Uh, we'll be back next week, as always, as we are every Monday. Same bat time, same bat location. We'll be talking about... I'm sure we'll be talking about Pokemon Sword and Shield DLC, because that's coming up real soon, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm eager to play that, and it's like, well, um, am I playing it day of, or am I getting a code, or what's going on here? I don't know. It's a, it's a big mystery. It's all fun. I don't know. It's a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> it is a mystery. All right, folks, we'll be back next week. And until then, for Nani and myself, happy adventuring. 